Welcome to The Real 7 Show. As always, this podcast will be completely raw, unfiltered, and uncensored. Today, I have the privilege of sitting down and talking with Mohawk Matt. Matt is a social media marketer, a model, and a sales rep for Sullen Clothing. He's also a sobriety sponsor and speaker, and his story is what inspired me to reach out to have a conversation with him. He covers everything from his experiences in the California jail systems to overcoming addiction and sobriety. You guys definitely do not want to miss this one. Here we go. My name is Mohawk Matt. I'm from uh, San Fernando Valley, California, right outside of Los Angeles. Um, I grew up in the San Fernando Valley area, kind of middle, lower to middle class home, a couple good parents. Uh, uh, I've been clean and sober for five years. That's something I always like to throw in there in the beginning because it was a hard journey and a hard walk to get there. I was one of those white boys that uh, grew up one of a few white boys with a lot of Mexicans in the culture in the valley. It's kind of mixed culture and uh I kind of got into like graffiti and stuff at a really young age. I played sports. I was pretty decent playing soccer and baseball. Um, I, uh, but I, I got into graffiti. There was something about graffiti that grabbed me. Mm. I don't know how graffiti is up there, but in LA in the nineties, it was like a monster, uh, almost like a huge industry of just kids making names for themselves. And, uh, uh, we, I, I just went through so many nights of having fun and, um, mind you with graffiti comes a lot of trouble, a lot of negativity, a lot of, uh, um, sometimes so? it's not just, well, like graffiti is not just like what you're seeing today with graffiti is, is very easy because graffiti today in at least California is very easily acceptable. It's everywhere. Ah, like right, a, right. a lot of the stuff that I grew up with that would get you in trouble, shot, killed, sent to prison has reversed itself in culture to where you could technically get caught spray painting for the most part, knock on wood in front of a cop. And they're not even care. It's so it's just everywhere. Businesses will have you paint their walls. In my day, graffiti was about going out in the middle of the night, getting your name out there, enjoying yourself, spending a whole night wasting spray can after spray can. And today it's just so easy. They make the supplies. We had to steal the supplies. Today there's whole stores built around illegal graffiti supplies to help kids make artwork. So I say mm. there's like a there's like I don't want to offend nobody, but there's a definite difference between artists and artwork and graffiti street bombing. Mm. My culture was the graffiti. And, and like I said, growing up doing graffiti, I mean, we had to worry about gangs. Gangs were against graffiti. And, and in the area I'm from, we're talking uh, 40, 50 gangs in some of the cities where I were like, let's just say the city of Pacoima, which was next to me, we're talking at least maybe 30 gangs add on to the surrounding cities, another 10 here, another 10 here. So you're surrounded by gangs that are anti-graffiti because those gang members would prefer you to get jumped into one of their gangs to make their numbers better. So mm. we're having to fight gangs. The cops, the cops in the nineties, I don't know if you remember like the rampart scandal and all that. Mm. Do, you, do you remember those things like the movie training day? Right. Right. Okay. So the cops were a lot more aggressive back in the nineties too. Cops would, not only would they whoop your ass and drop you off in a, in a, in a projects in your enemy's area, but the cops were very brutal. They would set you up. They would plant stuff on you. You know, there was the 90s was a different era. 
Cops mm -hmm. were more hands-on. They had the ability to be hands-on without being held accountable. Gangs were a lot more violent. Now, us being a bunch of only a, a, like four or five white kids mixed up with a group of Hispanics in, in the valley, mm -hmm. um, that, that uh, the journey became worse and worse as it evolved. Throughout mm -hmm. the 90s, the graffiti culture became more of like gang-like itself as these tagging crews we were from started to get stricter and stricter and form more rules and get bigger and bigger. And again, the surrounding gangs were not happy with that because you're either going to be from a gang or you're not going to be in their area. These gang members in LA are very serious. They're not going to tolerate a bunch of kids just tagging on the wall. You're either going to get in line with them or you're going to get out the way. So, so it was, a lot of it, us. Was it like, I'm just trying to understand why the gangs would have such a problem with tagging considering and, and mind you i'm only speaking from a canadian perspective now i grew yeah. up in a real rough neighborhood here in canada and tagging yeah. was a huge thing for gangs but maybe it was just because it was the well, gang gangs, tagging their turf maybe that's what it was like yeah. what was it there like why were they so against it do tag their turf their neighborhoods that, that's that's old school but graffiti wasn't about the gang it was about an individual getting his name out there uh, and then in the process okay. of being the individual these individual graffiti artists formed tagging crews, which were like mini gangs. Mm. Now the gangs are getting offended because half these kids are living in their in their neighborhoods that should technically just be joining their gangs instead of branching out and getting involved in new groups on the side. If that makes any sense. Oh, that makes perfect sense, man. So it was yeah. more of like a more of like them policing their own their own neighborhood, kind of like, man, it's either you're going to be a part of this or you're just going to get the fuck yeah. out of here. It's that simple. Yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. It's like they're policing their areas, either get in line with us or get out the way. And then as it went on, they realized how much money's to be made with these upper gangs. And we get some, some uh, let's just say some political messages came from some high places. And there was what, what they called a green light on all taggers. So throughout the state of California, anybody who was involved just in graffiti, you're now a target for all gang members. And if you hit the L.A. County jail system, we just spoke on the L.A. County jail system in the 90s was very, it was scary. And it was intense. It was yeah. deadly. I think the LA County Justice was probably one of the most scary, deadly places I've ever been in my life. So you, you, if you went to jail as a tagger and you weren't from a gang, you're looking for some serious trouble. Fuck's sake. And man, if, if there's one thing that you could say about the LA jails, and I mean, this is just speaking from an outsider's perspective, dude, there's documentaries yeah. made on this shit, man. Like, <laughs> it's definitely it doesn't look like a very homely environment. I'll tell you that much. It's uh, so, so what was that? What was that like then going from like, you know, the tag life to the prison system? What was that transition? How did that happen? Well, before that, I have to tell you, so we, we eventually, my tag eventually ended up uh, breaking some rules and we had to join a, a local street gang. All of us, mind you, again, I just, I was just speaking to somebody about this. You mix in maybe 15 Mexican kids, which are already a part of that culture easily throw in like a black guy or two, and then four or five, maybe six white boys. That's a, multicultural group that doesn't really fit in the street gang culture because if you know the la system you got the mexican gangs the whites don't really do gangs they do racial groups and then you have the black crips or bloods but we're all a pretty close group of guys we don't want to separate so we 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 joined a local gang that wasn't really politically affiliated so to speak but in the process we're losing some of our friends to go on this new journey with this life because like my black friend refused to go along with those politics he needed to go his own way my, a couple of my white boy friends, me, uh, they went their way as well. And the rest of us, it sounds sad when I admit this, but the more I think about it, it's like I fell into peer pressure. And I hate to say that, but it's a reality. Yeah. I gave into a bunch of shit because I didn't want to feel like a bitch. I didn't want to be a gang member. I did it. 
And mind you, I was I got really good at it, but 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 I have to admit that the peer pressure ruined a bunch of steps, a bunch of shit for me. It graduated, it steamrolled, and and just rolled downhill a bunch of shit after that. And it all based back to damn. I knew in my heart this wasn't a right decision. And I did it, and I joined the gang with my buddies. And I can only tell you if you've never been jumped into a street gang. It doesn't matter if you're in a street gang in Canada, LA, the Philippines. I I feel like street gangs are all street gangs, yeah. and it's a whole different lifestyle. It's it's a it's a culture shock. It's a culture jump. You're you're elevating to a new level of crime, of rules, of regulations, yeah. of dress code, dress code politics, of of loyalty. Of just so many things that like, and you have to get on deck. Like you got to be on point right away. You don't have much time to learn. Mm. And in the nineties, gangs were not like they are now. Gangs were not on social media. Gangs were on the block. If you've ever seen the documentaries, I don't know, Colors, uh, American yep. Me. That was yeah. our, that was the, like, I can't describe it even better. This was our LA culture, just like that on the streets. Every couple blocks is a new gang. You're fighting your way down streets. Shootings were like four to five a day. The weekends were long shooting battles sometimes. I mean, and to think that some of us are still standing here. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. You know? So as you started getting into these things now, now how old were you in this, when this was happening with the tagging 13, in the gang? I started at the age of 13 with the, you know, and it evolved in a gang. Yeah. So then shortly after these gangs, like, what was it that uh, that you started to notice within yourself? Because, look, man, we, we can go over everything that's happened and blah, blah, blah. But I want to know what that did to your psyche. What did that do to you as a man, to as a young, impressionable individual growing up with that peer pressure? You, you were at a point in life where where peer pressure is such a man, it's, it's a force, man. It'll really fuck with your head and make you do things you don't want to yeah. do. And clearly, yeah. you know, you did things that you didn't want to do. So what did that do to your psyche at that age, following all these new rules, regulations, and politics of the streets? Well, it, it, it messed me up emotionally, mentally. Like, uh, I'm constantly second-guessing myself, yet I'm not listening to that voice in my head that's knocking on the door, mm. warning me, warning me, this is, this is building up into something bad. It's turning into something bad like i knew it was happening remember you had a feeling like when you were a kid your mom tells you you know what honey just don't go out tonight i got a bad feeling stay home and you go out anyway against your mom's advice and yeah. what happens i'm in handcuffs i'm shot or i'm at the hospital calling my mom i remember those moments like that where my mom would tell me stay home babe i just don't i don't like the way the night feels and every, mm. every time i would go against that i'm in some sort of drastic problem and and in regards to this it's almost the same thing my brain was knocking matt mohawk this, this isn't you. You're doing stuff with a bunch of people that, yeah, they respect you. Yeah, they're your friends, but you're involved in something that you know isn't you. It's mm. like me trying to force myself to be an architect. I have no idea how to design buildings. But mind you, I'm getting good at it and I'm learning. But interior, I'm dying. I'm crying because I'm not really into this. I just want to, it sounds gay, but like, I just want to go write my name on the walls across the freeway system. Yeah, and I used to chase the buses. I mean, I mean, Eric, if I could close my eyes right now, I can still smell Krylon spray paint if I sprayed it after midnight as I would mm. climb onto the freeway overpasses with a hoodie on and write my name. And I would step back and look at my graffiti. Graffiti was something that made me feel pure and innocent. Mind you, we right. all know technically it's against the law, but it's like it wasn't really hurting anybody. God forbid you get right. some paint, you paint over it. I didn't physically hurt someone. I wasn't like really seriously damaging your property. I wasn't, yep. uh, what was that? What was that? Okay. I wasn't, I wasn't hurting physically people. I mean, I just wrote my name on some shit across the cities. 
I mean, uh, I, I, I take the ownership that, that I was damaging property, but for the most part, this other lifestyle, even though my justification for being in a gang and committing crime and violent acts on other people, which we did, you just, or I justified it. Let me keep it about me. I justified it by I'm playing Monopoly with a bunch of other people that are playing Monopoly. It's like when you're when when you go off to war in the army, you're fighting a war against other soldiers. Well, I'm playing a game. It's a gang war, but I'm playing with other people that are in the same game. They know what they're doing. So that I had to force myself to come to that justification that this is what I'm doing because I didn't really like it. But when I when I would get into some of these acts, that's how I made it through the night. Fucking you know? and so there wasn't much. Go ahead. So, so what's that like then, man? Because like, again, you, you don't even want to be there to begin with you at this point, what I'm chalking it up to is you're a young dude who came up in a culture who, who, you know, uh, got into something that was basically an expression of self. That's what graffiti is. Yeah. You're, you're quite yeah. literally tagging your name on a wall. Right. And you're doing it in a, in an artistic manner, like, you know, being a dude like yourself was in the tattoo community, you know, damn well, yeah. that you know, expressing yourself through art comes in millions of different forms right graffiti is just one millions of those of forms. right so when you're yep. to, to go from something like that to the gang life man like that transition seems really fucking extreme to me like th there's got to be a point man where, where where you're doing things and and dude it just feels like wrong to the core you know like you're just you're not supposed to be there this isn't who you are do you you know in your head that what you're doing is definitely harming another person and judging by what i've seen from you you're not like one of those like savage heartless dudes no man you're one of those dudes yeah. that, like you got a good head on your shoulders you know yeah. you feel you you see things you analyze things you you're far from fucking stupid dude there's there's people out there yeah. that are you know gone in their heads i'm sure you met a lot of them in jail who they don't have oh. empathy or compassion they don't give a fuck human life means yeah. nothing to them so for yeah. a dude that goes from from the expression of self to having to put that entire person away and create a persona, man, that that's gotta be just a mind fuck for a young dude. Well, it was. And if you've heard the term fake it till you make it, that's basically what I did. I just did it. Yeah. And, and this, and this is going to be, I'm not boasting. I'm not bragging, but I'm, I'm also, like you said, I am, I am intelligent. Like I, I graduated with 3.9 that's not the best but it's pretty decent i got really high intelligent i read almost i read about 6620 books to my name and i kept i collected them all um but fake it till you make it like i'm doing stuff and as i'm doing it i'm actually good at it i mean if mm. there's if, if there's a nice way to say you're good at being a gang member and committing crime you know i started selling drugs and i was immediately really good at my brain was always wrapped around being able to figure these things out. So I was able to be a good drug dealer. I was able to provide in the hood. I was able to, to build little small empires. I was able to, I mean, I was good at it. I, I knew how to do it. I, I, I took to guns really easy. I knew how to use weapons. I impressed my homies. I, I went out of my way. Be, it's almost like a reverse, like, like a reverse psychology. I didn't want to do it and it was tearing me up inside. So I made myself good at it. Hmm. and i ended but in the process and and uh, and uh, somewhere in that process of me doing all this stuff you know shootings happen stabbings happen friends are getting shot yeah. i'm losing homeboys um jail starts adult jail not juvenile jail starts happening intermittently here and there um i i tried drugs mind you i was a kid that played sports i played soccer and baseball while i was a kid i was into graffiti i was a decent kid in school uh uh 
and and I played up and I played baseball. I should have played pro ball and I blew scholarships. Mm. You know, I, as the gang improved, I lost all my connection to sports. I'm focusing on this because you kind of have to, because you can't, I don't want to be looking over my shoulder. And I had the bright idea after, mind you, I was a kid that didn't do any drugs. I didn't do, I didn't even drink beer. I didn't even smoke marijuana or cigarettes. I mean, I think maybe me and my homeboy lonely were talking the other day, like, I tell this story of only trying one thing once, but I think I might've tried a line of speed or something maybe once one night when speed was like old school speed. But I remember being peer pressured by my homeboy Chubbs into smoking crack. I mean, I'm talking a kid who was into gangs and being a pretty decent gang member at this point, I let my homie talk me into smoking crack to be my first major drug choice over alcohol, beer, uh, uh, weed, or, or a cigarette. And my life took an immediate fucking dump immediate dump mm. immediate dump my my life went to shit within a matter of one year everything everything i had was sold traded i uh all my homies have proceeded in my gang to get hooked on crack so all of our all-star gang member shooter gunners that are on the block putting in work we're all fucking strung out on crack cocaine fucking each other over my hood is arguing and fight my neighborhood is arguing and fighting with each other because we're all smoking crack and if you know anything about crack in the 90s we're talking like that show Snowfall. We're talking like fucking Chris Rock on New Jack City, just huddled, smoking crack, fucking each other over, stealing from everyone. Our names, our reputations are declining, and I can't get off this shit. I'm having my mom pick me up off the boulevard in the valley, um, and, and, and I'm barefoot, pee in my pants. I mean, I, I tell this because I'm not embarrassed, and I have to say this yeah. so other people yeah. who hear this will understand how serious it is. It's my truth. I remember having my mom pick me up and I had peed in my pants. I convinced my mom to pick me up when I'm barefoot, smelled like urine. I told her the only way I'll get in the car and go home is if you buy me crack. And I convinced my poor mom to buy crack. I'm smoking crack in the car as my mom drives me home just to get me home safe. She's out of her mind. I, I'm, I was such an asshole. You know, I did a lot of damage to my own family on drugs and I can never repay. But mm. uh, I, my, I, I, I remember her getting me home and, this podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Yorko. All of us know how important our health is, and Yorko has your health as its top priority. From white pine tincture to give you that daily dose of high-quality vitamin C and boost the immune system, to all-natural healing salves and soaps for day-to-day -day use. Everything is all-natural, handcrafted, and 100% all-Canadian with zero harmful ingredients. We all know almost all store-bought products and over-the-counter medications are causing a world of problems for us and our families. So keep you and your family safe with all-natural herbal remedies from Yorko. Visit www.realyorko.com and enter the discount code 7SHOW for 10% off your purchase. That's www.realyorko.com and enter the discount code 7SHOW for 10% off of your purchase. Now back to the pod. It was just a horrible, it was, it was horrible. Crack took me to some bad places, man. Bad places. And, uh, and, and I just want to say briefly for anybody who listens to this, who, who would sit there and say like, oh, you know, what kind of a mother would do? I'd like to just, you know, get you to fucking hold your horses for a second and really yeah. think about what it would take for somebody who truly loves their kid to a point and feels defeated and, 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 you know, almost feels as though there's no other direction to go. And this is the only way at the very particular time to make sure that the kid can get somewhere safe. 
So I would just like to halt everybody because you know how it is these days. Everybody wants to cast a fucking judgment without yeah. actually looking at the situation. Yeah. And sure, I'm not sitting here saying, hey, this is a great decision. But what I am saying as a father of two and, and yeah. you know, also a man who's lost a child, I'm, it's, it's one of these things where, guy, I can truly sympathize with almost being able to do do I'd do anything to make sure that I could just get them home safe because once they're yeah. there then all of a sudden it becomes this thing where you can you know then I can nurture and and talk to you and try to you yeah. know but in order to get you there I just I like to always make sure that the audience kind of slows their role with things cuz I know judgment yeah. is at an all-time high these days and I also um I wanted to ask you real quick like what was that like for for your mom she my mom was out. I mean, she, I don't even know how to explain it. She was just blown away. I mean, she didn't expect that. She just thought I was, she was coming to pick me up. And, you know, mind you, I tell people this, I got into an argument with people about, I think I had mentioned to you, there's a, there's a, I got into an argument with someone about this harm prevention thing that they're doing where they give out needles. And, and, um, I remember I'm a drug addict. I'm manip I can manipulate. I could sell ice to Eskimo. When I'm on drugs, I will manipulate the fuck out of you, out of the guy at the store, out of my mm -hmm. mom, out of your mom, no disrespect, but out of yeah. anybody. If I need drugs and I'm on drugs, mm -hmm. I have the ability as a car salesman to sell you a car that doesn't even have tires. Yeah. That's how yeah. drug addicts are. That's how seriously dangerous drug addicts are. And people will give into it as well. So I manipulated my mom. It's not like my mom just said, volunteer yep. let me go pick him up and buy him crack i gave her one million stories after one million stories of this is the last time to get to that point where she's finally driving down and giving me money to help me get this just because she understands this dude's gonna my son's gonna die or he's gonna go to jail and this is when she was still enabling me we get to a point later where my mom has pulled off all the stops and she basically says fuck you dude you got yeah. nothing coming we get there this is still the beginning of my drugs mind you yep yep so she was still, she didn't even, she didn't even really know she was enabling me. She didn't even understand the severity of what was going on. Cause this is the beginning of my journey where most parents might've, like you said, you'd get to a place as a parent where you're like, no, nah, this, I can't help you anymore. Of course. There's nothing I can do. But back then my mom was just happy that she's picking me up and I'm not in jail or dead. Mm -hmm. And so she helped get me home. And that journey just went like that for a while until I, my gang career diminished. It diminished. I start going to jail on and off and, and I'm, I, I, I went to the county jail for a possession of crack and it was just, it was horrible. It was a horrible experience being, um, being a white kid from a gang going to the LA County jail system in the nineties. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother mountain to climb right there. You know? Yeah. So, so what was the, I guess, uh, I, I don't know exactly how many times you went in, but what was the, the, I guess the first long stretch, like what had happened, what led up to that and, and how well, long I were did, you I did a couple, I did a couple like three year terms. I did uh, two, like one for three years and six months. I was home for like six months or 90, like between 90 days to six months. I went back to prison for three years and eight months. Again, these are like assault cases, uh, vandalism, felony vandalism, criminal threats. I don't have nothing major in my history, like murder, none of the weird rape charges. I don't got right, none right. of that. No arson. Uh, it's all like assaults and like physical stuff. And, uh, yep. my last, my last crime that I did a lot of time, I was sentenced to nine years. I did 12 and a half. Oof. Um, it was a, it was a home invasion, kidnap, felony vandalism, uh, criminal threats times two. And I forget, uh, it was like, uh, an assault with a great bodily injury. But that, and, and I guess it's one of these things where I can say, I've, I think I've listened to enough of, of your content and, and heard enough of how genuine you are to say that yeah. 
Are you sure that there's a kidnapping in there? Like, I just, I don't, regardless of that, no, well, well, I don't, I don't, buy it. I don't think it was, but the state of California has this law where if you actually, t I, I don't know this, I don't remember the details or what it is now, but in, in, uh, that was what year was that? Uh, I forget the year that was in the millennium, but, uh, if you grab someone and move them without their will up to five feet or something like that, something to that effect, mm. that's actually kidnapping. Mind you, this was one of my, this was my friend. This was my road dog. The, the cameras and everything just assumed like anybody would, you see someone grab someone and it's a female by their hair and say, get the fuck in the car. Now, mind you, I have my hand on their head and I move them down two steps. It's within the five feet range. So someone calls, tells them, boom, kidnapping one right there. First charge that goes out over the air. Second, you got home invasion because I kick a door in with an eight pound sledgehammer and proceed to destroy a trap house with, I mean, I destroyed a double wide trailer in a, in a trap, in a trailer park in, in the city of Santa Cruz. I gave it my, my, man, I gave it my Viking all on that one. I was extremely angry. I was under the influence coming down. It was, uh, well, the story goes, I was, I was actively after my last term, I was only home for 98 days. I did three years and eight months. I come home for on the 98th day. Mind you in that time, I'm selling drugs, got a brand new Cadillac, uh, I got a partner who's my road dog. Her name, uh, uh, she was, it doesn't, her name doesn't matter, but she was my, one of my good friends. Um, you know, like, like a lot of drug dealers, you get a, you get a homie to kick it with you, hold the drugs, help you, help you do stuff. She was my road dog. And I decided one day that feeling again, remember that feeling we're talking about that knock on my yeah. head where something's going to happen, Matt, this, there's something, I feel it. I can tell something's mm. going to happen. So I tell my friend, this is one of my first times trying to get sober. I say, I got to get clean. I had about an ounce of fucking meth when it was real crystal meth, not this crap on the streets today. I give her all the meth. I give her needles. I give her money. I say, listen, I'm going to drop you off at your friend's house, a filthy ass trap house. Cause that's where she wanted to go. I'm going to drop you off with all of this. I got to get clean. And she's kicking and screaming now because now she's realizing, wait a minute, my connection, because even though she's my road dog, right. the, the, you know what I mean? Like the, it's ending. And I'm like, look, I got to get clean. I'm going to bed. I'm going to drop you off. But mind you, this is my homie. I love this girl. This is like my road dog. And I drop her off and I said, listen, just don't call me. Let me sleep this off for like three days and then get, get my head straight so I can maybe get myself out of this. Because I knew I was probably already going to go back on a parole violation. I'm already in trouble. I drop her off. I come back home. I go to sleep. I had put the phone down. And it was one of those old school flip phones, the Sony Razor. I remember it was like <laughs> hot pink. It was like magenta pink and it was a Sony razor flip. But at that time that was the hot cell phone. And I put it down and I remember I'm not even an hour, about maybe three hours into rest. And I'm like, just falling asleep and the phone starts ringing. And I don't look because I'm trying to go to sleep and it's her and she's calling and she doesn't stop calling. And I finally answer and I'm like, what the fuck do you want? Long story short, the drugs were gone. The money's gone. She, whatever they did, they got rid of all the money, the food, the fucking drugs. And she's like, can you come pick me up? And I'm like, no, nah, fuck that. I don't want to pick you up. We argued and I finally lost my shit. And I said, all right, I'm coming down there. And I said, if they, cause she made it sound like they, they took her shit. Mm. So I said, all right, I'm coming down. And it's not going to be pretty. And I raced down the street to this trailer park and I had an eight pound sledgehammer. Now we're talking one of those construction sledgehammers. It just mm -hmm. looks intimidating anyway. And if you see, look at me, I'm getting out of this Cadillac that pulls up sliding on his brakes. I get out. The first thing is a fucking guy sitting on it. He obviously heard my car screeching and playing loud stereo in the trailer park. This guy's sitting on the porch and he looks at me and points at me. And right above his head, there's a camera. I didn't assume there was audio. I didn't assume there was audio on the camera, but there was. 
to trailer park. What are you going to do? You know, I, I, and, but again, I, I, I was angry and that thing I knew was happening was actually happening at that moment. I knocked on the back door of the trailer. My friend comes out. I, like I said, I grabbed her by the hair, get the fuck in the car. We're out of here. And she's, and she's, she's telling me, don't trip. I just fucking, let's go. Let's just go forget them. And I go in there angry and I proceed to destroy this fucking double wide trailer with an eight pound sledgehammer. Everything that was ceramic, toilets, sink, refrigerators, tables, everything got to go. The, mm-hmm. the, the, the couple, and I guess the couple's, uh, grabs their filth, they're filthy tweakers. Not that, not that, that, not, not that that's, uh, okay, but just to describe the scene, if you ever seen a trap sure. house of tweakers, there's yep. crap everywhere. They're doing meth. They're, they're all filthy. They, they're doing meth in front of their kids. You know what I mean? The kids are in the middle of the living room while they're all smoking meth and slamming meth. They all go into a back room cause they're scared. I kicked the door and I said, I, I don't remember exactly what I said, but something like you fucking with my friend. And I hear her call 911. I can hear it through the door. 911. It's Mohawk Matt. He's from the Valley. He just got out of prison. She gives the cops my whole description. He's got a Cadillac in front. And I'm like, damn, I got two minutes to get out of here. If I'm lucky. Cops respond in LA in under two, around two minutes ish. I go back out to the car. The guy comes over. The guy's pointing at me. He starts to walk to me. And I point, I point at him with the sledgehammer because I didn't think I was being audio. And I said, mind your business or I'll fucking kill you. Boom, right there. Stat right there. Put the nail in the coffin on my case. Yeah. Because it was recorded on audio and video. And I'm pointing a sledgehammer, which is a weapon that installed fear in him yeah. on camera. And we took off. The cops chase us. I kicked my friend out on the drive. Halfway up into the Palm to Lancaster area, like, 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 just get out of here. Uh, let me take care of this because I knew the cops were going to get me. And she tells me, I fucking love you. Don't trip. I'll get your back when I go to court. And I'm like, yeah, right. Sure you will. Sure you will. You know what I mean? Well, cops get me. Cops finally get me. I, there's no way to beat a high-speed chase, so I only go a little bit further and pull over and uh, go back to jail. Lo and behold, that fucking bitch went on the stand and said, that's my friend. He didn't kidnap me. I love him. It was it was the whole thing you got wrong. So it was the first time I had somebody actually go wow. to court and get my back. Like, yeah, she held her mud. She's a great person. Yep. Yeah, no shit, man. That yeah. takes some serious fucking balls. In, in a world of... Dude, it's like I say, man, You you these days you should never tell anybody your problems because 80% of never. them are glad you have them. Right. Yep. And the other 20% yep. don't give a fuck. So it's kind of yep. like to see that somebody actually has enough honor and especially somebody he, who, who's using, yep. like you said, right. The people that are using seem to come to a very yep. weird crossroad w- within themselves where they completely put humanity behind. And the next yep. fix comes long before, you know, emotion yep. or compassion or empathy or any of that. So it's, it's, it's really man fucking good on her, man. That, that, that's yeah. That's wild, dude. <laughs> well, it's crazy because I feel like with what you said, a lot of us, I mean, I was a drug addict. I, I had some outlandish behavior, but I was the same. I was the same way. We have morals and principles. Whether I'm on drugs or not, I'm still going to, I have to do the same yeah. things. Mind you, I'm going to do some dumb shit, but like I, I would have done the same thing. And she kept her word and that's, and she's still my friend to this day. Yeah. And, and yeah, she's, she's clean and sober, got married, has a couple kids, lives in Colorado and, no and we're still good friends. Yeah. Yeah, we're dude, still good friends. Fucking good for yeah. her, man. Dude, yeah. Good for her. Those circumstances do people typically don't, like you say, they either end up in jail or in a box. And yep. that's that's the typical place, man. And that's that's yeah. probably what it is about uh, you know, your story that kind of really 
really hit home. And I see it's hitting home with a lot of other people, too, because regardless of what anybody wants to say, it seems like the jail life and the prison life is something that has been glorified since childhood with, you know, whether it be Scarface, The Sopranos, uh, any of these documentaries or anything that you watch. Typically, uh, even the good guy at some point, you know, is wrongfully accused and goes to jail. So there's something very like sexy societally about jail until you really experience jail. And then you're like, dude, you're fucking crazy. So I know a lot of you that have been in there. You guys do everything that you possibly can to not glorify it, even when you speak. Well, that's the difference. And I don't I'm going to say this as nicely and respectfully as I can. The people that go on a lot of these shows and will tell you all the tough shit and they miss out and don't admit to you. I don't give a fuck if you are Scarface. You hit a level four maximum security prison in the state of California. And this is where I will say this against every other country and state. There is no state like California when it comes to danger with gangs and politics. We play at a level that supersedes any other area. And if you're going to tell me that you're going to go on a show and just tell you how cool and how tough and all that. Miss me with that bullshit. I've been to the worst California has to offer minus a couple prisons and the county jail. Like, like I've told before, it's scary. It's emotionally draining. It's it gives you anxiety. You never know what's going to happen. There's no mm. rest. It's not a fun place. And it's scary. You see shit that you can't forget. I got more PTSD from prison than I do the military. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And people that I see a lot of these guys going on these shows just to brag and talk about how cool it is well yeah and all honesty there are some cool moments i've made some friendships that will last a lifetime i've learned a lot prison will teach you a lot of good things about being a man how to respect people how to how to play on a team how to contribute to a group how to follow rules and 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 learn to respect someone you don't have to like their race or their affiliation but you're going to treat them with respect or there are serious consequences so there's a lot of things prison can teach you good but it's scary and it's not a nice place. So these guys I watch that go on there and just brag and it, it's like, dude, mm-hmm. you're, you're probably lying because that's really not how it is. There are brief yeah. moments like that, but it's a lot more, more uncomfortable moments than there are good. Yeah. And, and I don't know what it is. And I could be speaking entirely out of pocket here. So I don't want anybody to take this seriously. This is me yeah. just inquiring and kind of thinking about something, but even when I see any of these dudes that came out of jail and and it, it becomes this thing where now they're famous because of that affiliation with prison. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm all everybody's for the hero story, right? Everybody loves yeah. to see a good story where, you know, somebody yeah. hits rock bottom, goes through the shit and then rises yeah. up to be the best fucking version of themselves. Right. Yeah. It's it's amazing. Everyone should congratulate it. But then yeah. I get these people. And, and this isn't me hating on him because I think he does a lot of good. But I hear people like Wes Watson. Right. Who who come from these these, <laughs> these prisons. Right. That's exactly. Anyways, go ahead. That's exactly who I was referring about. (laughs) (laughs) So when I see this, though, and like, don't get me wrong, you can have this like, sure, I'm all for somebody telling people that, you know, like enough of the bullshit, like shut the fuck up, you know, get up off the ground, get up off your ass. And it's like, hey, if you look in the mirror and you look like shit, guess what? I don't care how you feel about it. You look like shit. So when it comes to like, you know, the the part of it that seems very motivating and tough love, I'm all for that. But when I start hearing somebody talking shit, dude, I've been in, I'm not going to sit here and talk like I'm Mr. Fucking Tough Guy. I've been in a lot of fucking street fights. I grew up in a rough neighborhood. It just yeah. is what it is. That's how life yeah. was, right? It wasn't yeah. this thing where, you know, you, you get one little scrap and for the rest of your life, you know, every little detail about it. I couldn't fucking tell you about half of them. They were left, completely left field, 
they happen yeah. on the spot. You got to remember what was said. We just start throwing bows. It is what it is. That was part of life. Everybody grew up a little hard. But when I hear people who are talking about stories from 10 years ago in prison and they know every fucking hair that fell off the dude's head, it for me, it's a little bit, it's glorifying that prison life. And I just don't fucking think that that's the way to really get to your audience, right? Like, it's it's painting a false picture because I hear a lot of people who speak out against people like Wes and 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 we're in the same system who are like, dude, I don't know what the fuck he's talking about, but that's that's an illusion. Like this is the real shit. So I, I mean, I don't know. I well, what you just said is I completely agree with. There's also the fact of some of the things that I've heard said, which is why I will not associate at all with said person. Because there are certain statements that are made constantly when you're talking about being hard and you're talking about being maximum security. Well, number one, maximum security is never sent out of state to do time. Mm. And that person was number two, your photographs you put in some of your clips are dorm settings. The serious places are never in a dorm setting. That's number a dorm setting. You're in lockdown cells. Number two, number three, when I hear someone talk about, I'll make you my bitch, you could get raped. Number one, that's false too. In the state of California, at least for the two ethnic groups I associated with Mexicans and whites, there is none of that behavior under Good. any circumstances. Good. That's not uh, like uh, the media has portrayed prison as like where we're all gay. We all rape each yeah. other. That, yeah. That's actually literally there's the 100% opposite. That behavior is not tolerated with our people in prison under any circumstances, unless you're on some sort of protective yard that doesn't go on in the main line and it's not tolerated. So I don't know why the media likes to, portray that right and when i hear when i hear their men talk about i'll make you my bitch well at least the, the the whites and the mexicans i was in custody with we don't really treat each other that way we try to build each other up and, and embrace you and help you there's none of that like I'll, I'll punk you shit because that just makes us all look bad so there's a lot of negative stuff i've heard as well no disrespect to the man at all i just i choose sure. to have a different opinion and i just know this is the last thing i'll say there's a lot of stuff we went through in prison I share about what I can share about, if that makes any sense. I yep. share about what's appropriate to share about, but I'm not going to give you secrets about stuff that went on in there because he does that. And there's a mm. lot of people, inmates in prison have cell phones. And let me tell you something, all those inmates have cell phones. Again, just so we're clear, when you're talking about stuff you shouldn't talk about, you could be sober and recovered just like I am, but the streets still listen and the streets mm -hmm. are still there. The streets don't right. forget the streets, the streets will always be there. So you have to be very careful what you say, especially when it comes to divulging, like I saw recently, the, the secret prison sign language that we use to communicate. Why would you give that out? Why would you give that to the, the public? The public has no business knowing how we communicate because that's a secret. Because right now there's, a, there's an increase in the obsession, like you were saying, with prison culture. You got Steve and Joe Smith in Idaho or Saskatchewan, Canada, that want to have their prison fixed by watching a podcast from a guy who wants to glorify it. Well, Steve and Joe Smith don't have any business knowing about prison politics because you're probably never going to go there. So it's something that you don't need to have an interest in. Prison right. is dangerous. Yeah. Prison is scary. And for the culture that's growing around thinking it's interesting, I know that guys are making podcasts and making money off of it. But by proxy, you're forgetting where you came from. You're forgetting our rules of conduct. I'm sober and I've changed my life and I've done a lot of therapy. I've removed hateful tattoos. I have physically and emotionally changed my life. But I'm very aware that those streets are outside. And I'm very well at, at any minute something could happen. I could be accidentally back in prison or something. Just any one of the million things could happen. And I'm not going to be on that boat that was known for betraying some of my standards. 
You can yeah. still keep to the streets and respect yourself and the rules. You just have to choose to disassociate with some things. Yeah. Yeah. Because, it, and that's, again, that's what you just said. My, my main problem with it is this glorifying this shit because our kids are so mentally malleable. They just, they, yeah. they don't need to know about it in, in the sense of dude, look, I got myself caught up into, you know, a little bit of gang culture in Canada, nowhere near yeah. what it is there. I was never gang banging. It was more so yeah. just groups that kind of grew up in the projects and there were just clicks yeah. of people and everybody yeah. kind of knew each other. Right. Like, but you could you call that a gang? I mean, by the cop standard. Yes, we all wore blue bandanas. Yeah. You know what I mean? A lot of them came yeah. from L.A. A lot of them were, you know, even uh, it was all at war when the you know, all the people from Kosovo came over and lived in the same buildings. But we had a lot yeah. of. Latinos, Somalians, people from Kosovo. It was a fucking war zone where we grew up, man. So, but it was one of those things where you, I just hated to see it glorified because I remember being a young, impressionable kid. And rather than focusing on the books or basketball or anything else like art that I was really good in, it, it seemed it was like this this amazingly masculine thing that you just you wanted to you know you saw all the the dudes that got all the attention were were the ones that were standing there and you know had all the face tats and you know are always smoking blunts and then i see these young kids we're talking like 10 11 years old you know running for them and you have children running drugs through the buildings you know cuz they're way more you know inconspicuous to the police and yeah. dude life was fucking insane and i knew then that it was wrong to my core it didn't feel yeah. good to me. So now as a father, I look at this shit and I watch the people like, you know, said person we were just talking about. And it, it just it. I, I can see the good in the message, but like, why the fuck are we glorifying that, man? Like you yeah. can get your message across because if you look at somebody like Wes, tell me he's not like the perfect role model for children in the sense well, of like, OK, he shows no fear. He's big and jacked. You know, what yeah. I mean, he's got the beard. He's got the money. All young kids these days want to be that. So, well, yeah, and, and I will say this. I mean, if you remove the angle that I said, he's a great motivational speaker. Yeah, man. He, he's really good with, from what I understand, recovery and self-help and fitness. He's got a powerful message, but I think that was built off the other angle. And now right. he's here. Exactly. I think he's trying, I honestly believe he's trying to alleviate himself from that stuff. And like I said, uh, he's got a great message. I just think that there are some things we shouldn't be saying. That's a personal opinion. 100%. And stuff, I agree. And like, like some people build these foundations off stuff they shouldn't do, but yet that got them so much attention. Now they're doing this and, but that stuff doesn't get forgotten. People still remember that and that could get you in trouble. And, and there's just this, the, the other thing is this huge culture. I don't understand why people are so obsessed with prison. I told someone the other day, you want to learn about prison, come to California, break the law. I guarantee there's a bed waiting for you. You can easily find out about it and go to jail. Other than that, like, I was telling people, you don't really need to understand how it is to be in prison and be a white or a Mexican because you're never going to go through that. Yeah. And if yeah. you did, you'd probably have a whole different perspective and you wouldn't be interested in it like you are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of these things, man, like the the idea of prison just seems fucking absurd. Like, welcome to Afghanistan with bars. Right. Like that's it's. It can be a fucking war zone, but like you say too, right? Like there's there's a lot of misconceptions in the sense of like where you just said, well, you know, the media likes to portray this as just everybody's gay and like, oh, you know, soap on a rope, don't drop the soap, like all yeah. those fucking you know things that that's that's even yeah. even when you're joking with your boys, dude, yeah, that's yeah. that's the first thing you say, like, oh, don't drop the soap, right? Like, yeah, yeah, you're so right. And, and dude, like my my buddy just got out after a little six month bid for some absolute stupid shit, and yeah. it's like you know he he went in hated it. 
This is a dude that's like highly productive, owned a business. So when he found out he was going in for some shit he did way back, it's like all of us were like, fucking really? Like, you're like a grown ass. It'd be like taking Elon yeah. Musk and saying like, hey, bro, remember when you were 13? Yeah, you got to yeah. go do six months yeah. now. Yeah. And the first thing I said to him to break his balls when he got out was like, hey, did you, you drop the soap, bro? Like, just yeah. it's just something that we've been programmed. I know, and it's funny because that has that that joke right there has steamrolled. And it's not like a gay orgy like that. Literally, you could literally drop the soap and bend bare ass over in front of a man naked in the shower and nothing's going to happen. But he'll probably turn his penis the other way to the wall. Yeah, so just, it's not uncomfortable. Yeah. Like there's more respect and manners in a prison than you would really believe. Yeah. And, no it, and it's and, and it's like, so there's none of that behavior, and society wants to paint that. And it's like, it's just so bizarre that you want to hyper focus on like thinking we're all gay, and that doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. The same people that are hyper focusing on that though would never walk in there and say that's a fucking anybody no. that's no. in that place. So no. let, let's get to a little bit of what it was like for you when you got in, what was that first feeling when you got in knowing that, you know, you're, you're about to do this long ass stretch. Well, after I got sentenced, I, I'm not gonna lie. I went back to my jail cell and I was extremely, I mean, I just got sentenced to nine years, nine years really ain't shit. But then again, back then it was, it was a lifetime. So I made the decision in my head. All right, check it out. Like I, I, I pumped myself up. I'm going to do this. I'm going and I'm going to be that fucking guy. I'm yeah. from a gang, but I'm already affiliated with the whites because for me, my gang is separate from my race. There's a huge argument over that, but my gang was not really affiliated that much when I was on the streets from it. I was already, I'm a white boy and I'm not going to make the wrong racial choice because making the wrong racial choice in a California prison could lead to some serious damage. So mm -hmm. I made the choice. I stayed with the whites got, and, and when I was sentenced to this last term, I made the decision to get involved and I went hard to the paint. As soon as I hit after I went to reception after I caught the chain, went upstate after reception. When I hit my main yard, I found someone. Uh, I got in contact with one of my homeboys from my area, and uh, I went heavily involved in a lot of the prison politics for the whites. Now, and, were, uh, were you addicted to yeah. drugs when, when you got in there? I was. I, I mean, okay, so drugs in jail. How can I explain this? It's really hard to stay addicted to drugs because they're scarce they're there but they're not there from what i understand mm. now they're everywhere they're all the time but when i was there you're going to be waiting sometimes for drugs you're going to look for you don't have the ability really to get that strung out you mm. do them when you get them when they come through now mind you if you have a lot of money you can probably have access to them more i was i had average money when i was in jail so i got them when i could we weren't supposed to be doing speed in prison that was our policy but a lot of us did it anyway fuck man so if it's not really possible to be strung out there, then because uh, I have heard other people speak about it and whether it's true or not is uh, I don't know. You know. do. I'm, you I'm can just a listener. Let me pause. Let me pause. You can. But but it's really hard to I mean, for, OK, for where I was at, the drugs weren't as as uh, easily accessible as some of the other locations. So you we would just get them here and there. And as you move to different prisons, which happens a lot, each prison has its own way of drugs. And, and we'll just leave it at that. So so. What is the why, why do they move people prisons? Like, what, what the whole what's the whole thing with that? 
Well, if you get in a fight, they move you. You're not if depending on the fight or the severity of the situation, um, they will move you to a, a new prison. Or if you're in a riot or something like that, yeah, you're going to be transferred because they try to spread the trouble around through California. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. So that's what it is. Is basically just trying to keep problems away from problems. But I think they're fucking shooting themselves in the foot by doing that, man. Like you're basically just allowing messengers to throw a couple of shots and then go. Like it, it just looking from the outside looking in is kind of like, dude, like yeah. you guys are fucking idiots. Like that's what you're doing. Like, You'd be better off yeah. just leaving them there and letting them figure yeah. it out. I mean, it just seems like it would be a lot more wise. Now, when it comes to, and again, I'm not trying to get too personal because I know that this is something that we can't really talk too deep into. Um, yeah. But what does what does prison... Okay, so, so let's go back a little bit. So you find out you're doing this long stretch. You realize that, okay, the only way to do this is to, to, to become that savage, to do what I need to do, to, to yeah. become a different man. When you figure out that that's who you have to become, is there a part of you in the back of your mind, once again, being the person who just all this started with graffiti? Like, is there any part of you that says the moment I get out of this fucking place, I cannot wait to just get back to Matt? Well, the sad the sad answer to that is that I I, I didn't plan on coming home. I wanted to get so involved that I'm just a permanent member. I was so upset with everything that happened and how I let myself down, let my mom down um, that I just decided I'm going in and I'm going hard to the paint. And for a while I did. And eventually that starts to settle in. Like I turned the nine years into 12 and a half years due to my behavior. And um, I got, like I said, I got involved and um, uh, I just, it just, it just steamrolled downhill. Everything just went harder and harder. And be, but be, then again, time went so fast because it's not all bad. There's like, I made relationships with some men, some friends. And, and like when you're in a, it's, it's weird because I was describing this to my friend, um, you know, being a white inmate, we're not as uh, integrated with the blacks and the Mexicans We're aligned with the Mexicans, but with the blacks, we're like still kind of just like, we're there, we're respectful, but we don't integrate much. But, you make the weirdest friends. I tell people in the weirdest places and the people that ended up being my friends today were not even, they were blacks. They were a crip, a blood. And we, me and these guys just, you know, just casual conversation where you're in line for food or in line for the canteen or going to the nurse every now and then, or mm. just waiting around. Cause when we go to work, we all had jobs here and there when we would be able to right. not be in trouble and have some sort of job, you shoot it up, you chop it up with guys and, you make friendships with guys and some of them were based not off racial or gang shit. Some of it, some of it was just two guys doing time. And, and, uh, it makes me sad sometimes to think about it. And, um, uh, uh, it's weird because like I said, some of the guys that you'll be lifelong friends with are not even like, like for me, race was a thing. Well, they weren't even, they're not even my race. They were the race that we were supposed to hate. And they're my best friends today. And we shared memories. And when, when bad things would happen in prison, I remember like when there was problems with the blacks, I remember these guys being like, Hey, Hey, Mohawk, don't go outside. Like stay in from yard today. You get a heads up from someone who's not, who has another angle from another area and another group that, but we also have a friendship that where dudes tipping me off. He ain't tipping off the rest of the white boys. He's tipping me off. And like, you make these friends with people. I, I can't even describe it. Uh, um, and there are, there are things you laugh about that can't be replaced from LA like Crips and Bloods they get more guys don't get to go home and I have a lot of friends that, are, that aren't coming home 
They're never coming home. And it's sad because they're some of the best dudes I met. I've met, I've laughed and, and had coffee with some of the best motherfuckers the state of California has to offer. And then there are those guys that are so dangerous that you know without a shadow of a doubt, not to sound like I'm betraying the game or not, but you know damn well they need to be in jail. There are some people I've met sure. that I wouldn't feel safe around your family, my family, my girlfriend's family, America's family. There are some men that you meet yeah. that you're like, God damn, you need that jail cell. You're someone that is does not deserve to breathe free air. You know, um, but the friendships and the memories you make are, it's just like being in the military. You go to war, you, 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 you fight with men, you eat with men, you take shits with men, you shower with men. And, and like, contrary to popular belief, it really isn't just fucking stabbing in a gay porno. There's a lot of good times. There's a lot of bad times. Yeah. And, uh, I take, I just keep a lot of that stuff in my heart. Yeah. And I mean, you should dude. like, for me, it's almost, it's impossible for, for the amount of people that I'm, I'm privileged to, to speak to and that, I, you know, yeah. I'm grateful to interact with, especially with social media and and you know with the last three years and we'll kind of touch on that in a bit um you know speaking to all these people it's like dude everybody has a past everybody's done dumb shit right like so when i see how back in especially when you were in like you're talking about the 90s and shit man like i know one thing about the 90s and that's that the courts would over sentence the fuck out of everyone and i mean even now right so i just heard something crazy actually and i I posted about it and got a lot of backlash and everyone can just lick my nuts i really don't care you feel about it um and that's donald trump saying oh we should give the death penalty to drug dealers and i'm like hold the fuck on how many of these people are in there right now for weed bro fucking weed right and you want the death penalty you need to be very careful orange man as to what the fuck you're asking for when it comes to pedos i'm all for it right leave the fucking kids alone that's where i draw my line right but when it comes to like drug dealers like dude we need to be very careful because the system is corrupt as fuck what happens to all the the the, Um, the cops that plant shit on people and now this guy has a death penalty like that's stupid it's dumb well i grew up in an era where possession in the 90s if you got caught with a nickel back when weed wasn't sold in dispensaries and and weed pens everywhere like it is now i remember getting arrested for a nickel of weed and it was a felony so like crazy yeah i mean i don't i don't agree with trump doing that there's a lot of this like we're we're in la we're hit with this fentanyl epidemic i don't agree with giving them the death penalty but i will say this i hope it's okay but I feel that these fentanyl dealers should be held way more accountable. Yep, you're killing 100%. people and you're killing people in record numbers and you're, and you're clogging up our streets with, it's not a homeless problem. We're hit with a drug epidemic. Yep. That's and society keeps calling it homeless. You got to stop. It's not homeless. These are people that are choosing actively to live in a tent provided with government assisted funded money that they're given they're given money, they're buying tents, they're choosing to live on a street, they're choosing to do drugs, and the fentanyl dealers are driving up in Mercedes. How are these guys getting access to this fentanyl? It's got to be the government. There's no other reason for it. But yeah. they're giving this out in record numbers. It's killing people. And and everything is being, every drug you're doing today is mixed with fentanyl, somehow randomly, accidentally. So at this stage, every drug dealer should just be, assume you're selling fentanyl and know that you could be held accountable. That's my take on it. Yeah. And I'm an addict, I'm a recovering addict, but our streets are being turned into filth, just disgusting areas. And I don't mean to offend people, but I'm sorry. This is we're way out of control with this behavior of I'm just going to 
sit on government assisted money, buy a tent and live on the corner and walk around naked. They catch them masturbating in public, which is a sex crime. They don't arrest them. Mothers, women, children can't walk down the streets because these people are injecting drugs. There's human poop in piles. There's piles of trash. They're destroying everything. And we're just sitting back going, oh, let's go bring them needles and give them some food because they're homeless. Stop. Stop feeding the bears. If you feed the bears, the bears come and they stay. Yeah, it's the it's the it's a it's the fucking insanity that's going on in our streets. Yeah, and that's in my eyes when I see that it's fucking enabling. I see it all over. It's enabling. It's enabling. One hundred percent, it is. I mean, you can't just continually say just that, right? Oh, we need to you know get rid of these bears that keep coming into the backyard, but then you just you go know and why you they're coming. Food. Right. Yeah, you want to know why they're coming? Because you're giving them needles, telling them it's okay to do safe drugs. You're giving them bottles of water. You're, they're, they're allowed to get government money and sit on a corner. They have no incentive to stop doing drugs. Right. It's insane. Yeah. And I, I know a lot of people hate that, right? They, 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 I think the problem now is the acceptance movement has become a little too soft in every aspect. Way as in, dude, we, we are accepting things as a society now that are so immoral, yet we're willing to accept them because of this. I don't know. You got to be virtuous or or make sure that everybody's included. Like, I'm sorry to tell you, but we need to bring back discrimination. I know that sounds a little off to people, but it's fucking true. A lot of people need to be told, hey, bro, I think you're fucking up. Hey, bro, I think you're eating way too much. You need to hit the gym. Why? Because I care about you enough that I don't want you to have fucking heart disease. But in the end of the day, at the moment you say like, hey, bro, I think you need to hit the gym. It's like, oh body positivity and it's like dude all of this shit though right like it's all trickling down into these other areas where now people are accepting the government enabling people to continually do fucking drugs we're we're we're, it goes it's yeah you're right that's exactly what you said it's something i I laugh daily about with my girlfriend whatever's happening in our culture it's like you can't tell people like you just said it's like oh then you're 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 not encouraging me to be what i want like a kid i remember here's an example a kid wanted to identify as a cat at school. We're so fucked up in America that we're supposed to not only accept that this girl thinks she's a cat, we're give supposed to entertain box. it. We're allowed, yep. we're supposed to give her whatever she decides, whatever terminology in regards to pronouns she'd like to use. We're supposed to not only be okay with it, accept it, give it to her, and then give her a litter box. I'm at the point where I'm like, shut the fuck up. I yep. look at them when they tell me that and I say, shut the fuck up. I'm not going to entertain your fantasy of what you might think you are. Yes, I look sir. at it as we are this, we are that. No disrespect to anybody's culture, their sexual agenda, but there's facts and I'm going to stay right there. Yep. And you're not going to make me call you whatever you want. You know, when I was a kid, I think we're doing a disservice too, because when I was a kid, I used to think I was Darth Vader. Imagine if my parents entertained it and allowed me to identify as Darth Vader and helped encourage me to build a lightsaber and join the Galactic Empire and and, and become a Jedi. Imagine, yeah. imagine that. That's what yeah. we're doing. I yeah. thought I was Darth Vader. So imagine if we were told that we have to encourage it and help Mohawk become Darth Vader by proxy. Right. And then right. we have to give him his own terminology. I'm not rewriting history for none of these people. Grow up. It's what it is. Is it's autism and mental health on a great level that's exposing itself. I think. Mm-hmm. I think we're exposed. We're seeing mental illness take over the streets in America in rapid numbers, and I'm not okay with it either. No, man, I'm absolutely. Not- like, j- j- look, when my son, for instance, watched a yeah. lot of Marvel, right? Yeah. Loves Marvel. So just because he comes up and says, "Hey, Dad, I feel like Superman today," should I go throw him off a fucking building? And test that theory. 
Yeah. No, you can't fly, right? Like it's your job as a parent to tell them, no, you're not a cat. You are not a cat. You are not a girl. You are a boy. You need to let's get you in some sports. It's your job as a parent to mold them the right way. If they remove your job as a parent, why did I even, why do I have this kid? What's the point? If you're going to tell me that my kid's allowed to be Sheila when she's Sam, and then you're going to take there from me if I don't entertain it. I'm, I'm, and and that's where, that's where I draw the line, man, is, is, is with the children. Look, and I'm going to state this for everybody to fucking hear. If you are an adult, I don't give a singular solitary fuck what you decide to do with your life, with your genitals, who you fuck, who you love, how you love. I don't care. Nobody gave a shit about the trans movement. Nobody, nobody cared that you were trans until you said, hey, kids, now you are able to make these decisions. And if your parents disagree, fuck it. We're going to take you away from them because you're the parents. And I don't know if you study any etymology, but I do. I look at language and how the legal system uses language against you. They call you parents because you're the pair that rents. They're state owned children. That's actually what happens as soon as you sign your birth certificate. The state owns them. Right. That's why they stamp your soul, the soul of your foot. No, no. They talk about the soul of the person. They stamp on that piece of paper when you're when you're born. And when you're standing, that's the first right angle that touches Earth. They take your legal standing away from you by stamping your soul onto the piece of paper right after you leave the vessel, which is your mother. Right. So technically, if you legally look at it, every child born is an abortion. Right. Because a child is like birth, the word birth. That's what happens when you offload cargo cargo from a ship. Right. You come out of your mother's birth canal. Right. You're handed to a doctor. Right. Then you're given your citizenship and then they take your soul and your legal standing. Right. And they put you out into the world because a birth is supposed to be the baby and every mucosal membrane, all of the attachments that come with it. But you're not. You come out, they snip your cord. Done. Get rid of the sack. That's it. Whereas when you do like a home birth, they'll leave the baby inside the sack for a while. Everything is completely natural, right? So when the system takes over these kids, that's what they call you. You're the pair that rents. You basically just, yeah, that's why they're able to push all of this onto people, man. But where they're taking it is what I have a problem with. You are not fucking going to come into anybody's house and tell your child that just because you feel a certain way today. Yeah. Like my son has went up to, you know, my daughter's room and like grabbed one of her Barbies and like used it in his little game. Like, oh, Spider-Man's going to save Lois today and blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. cool, bro. It doesn't mean that I'm going to say, hey, son. Hey, see that little skirt Barbie's wearing? Do you think you need to wear one today? Yeah. Right. But the parents now are becoming the problem, especially in a place like California. That's woke yeah. central, bro. I don't know how you deal with it. I don't know how you live with uh, that shit. I've there. been entertaining. I've been entertaining. I want to go to Texas, bro, or Florida. I'm not happy oh, here. And then I want, I, especially like, did you see what Target did? I was watching last night. Target, bro, bathing suits to allow children to tuck their genitals. Are you fucking Dude. kidding me for infants? Bro, I will. I can say this. I'm going to say this on your show. Mohawk Matt, I will never. And here I'm making a swear oath. I will never, ever shop at Target again. You Amen. are done. Mohawk yeah. Matt does not support Target. And I never Good. will ever again. You made a bathing suit to allow and teach a child to tuck his genitals. Wow. I, I mean, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. I'm completely, I'm shameful for Target. Yeah. 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 And, and that's what it is, right? It's these companies trying to, to, to compare, you know, who's more woke. And it's like, guys, 
you know what? You guys can do all your advertising campaigns on adults that can discern information, but you can you need to leave yeah. the fucking let the kids be yeah. kids, man. Could you imagine waking think, up your grandparents yeah. when they were children, right? And and telling yeah. them what is happening now, right? If you were to take people from say the early 1900s and say, "Hey, 100 years from now, bro, this is what's going to happen." They'd be like, "You guys gonna, are all on fucking we're drugs." Take your kid. <laughs> Yeah, hey, by the way, we're going to, in 100 years, you're going to not have access to your kid. If your kid wants to identify as this, we're, we will take them from you and help them get the surgery and then drop them off and make you pay for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I agree with you. Bottom line is if you're an adult, you've earned the right to do whatever you want. You want to have sex with giraffes Absolutely. and it's okay. Go. I'm all about it. Yep. If you're an yep. adult, kids don't know the right from wrong. It's our, it's your job, everybody's job, friends, parents, families, communities to mold them the right way. They don't yep. know what's going on. Like I said, imagine if my mom helped me entertain being Darth Vader, uh, what would the world be like? I'm running around with a lightsaber, whacking people that I don't, that I don't like go along with the force for Christ's sake. So mm. it's just, it's insanity and it's, and it's not right. It, it's, it's, it's crazy. Absolutely. It's crazy. So, so over the last three years, what we've seen is addiction, you know, become something that's been far too far too prevalent in so many yeah. homes and it seems like the people that are getting addicted are getting younger and younger and younger and younger especially yeah. with the influence in music telling you oh you're depressed don't worry pharmaceutical drugs and don't worry about it there's something for that nobody knows how to cope with their emotions yeah. in a healthy manner anymore so yeah. it's kind of like what do you think the solution to the addiction epidemic is as a whole what what is what can we do it's as hard. a society? I, I don't know because the problem is people, the way I tell my story is I had to be at a place. I had to have no one enabling me. And I had to be at a place where I could hit rock bottom. I was spiritually, mentally, and physically broke when I got. So when I had that come to God moment, I was broke. I, uh, my mom wasn't enabling me. I mean, I was in the Navy, so I always had a pension. I was able to buy my own drugs, but I definitely didn't have, someone showing up and giving me supplies. But um, I, I don't know what the solution is because they're, they're too easy to get in California. And there's hundreds of these alleged nonprofit groups that show up in groups to give them supplies to continue. If you want it, this is my solution. Now, this is what I said on another podcast. And this, the problem with what I'm saying, coming from someone who's been there, it's a really easy problem, but it affects pocketbooks. And that's what they don't like. The people that are promoting this are making money off of it. The senators, the politicians, the government makes money off letting these nonprofit groups go down and do this because all these people are making money. If you, this is what worked for me as a recovering addict and thousands of others who got sober. Let's just take Skid Row in downtown, for example. Skid Row in downtown is filled with people on government money that mean everyone is paying for these people to have tents and do drugs in society. Our tax dollars are going. I don't want to give these people 250 a month. I don't give a fuck about them. No, no disrespect. I got clean. You are not my problem. I don't want to give you 250 a month for your government money. 250 yeah. is important to me today. So in Skid Row, you have hundreds, and I mean probably a thousand, maybe more homeless people living in tents that are funded off government assistance. If you, mind you, we're going to save taxpayers money, but the government doesn't make money off what I'm going to say. But this is a guaranteed way that will work. Cut all of their GR, cut all mm. of their social security that yeah. we're all paying for as tax providers. Yep. Stop allowing people to show up and give them food, deodorant, water, 
clean needles and drug testing kits. Stop having people go down and donate clothing. These people will disperse. Eventually, it'll take a while, but they will stop. The reason these people are living in these areas in, in record numbers is because these groups show up continually. They give them food. They give them drugs. They give them supplies. The drug dealers have moved in down there. The drug dealers live with them. These people are collecting government money that's being spent on drugs. On They have pets. Who's giving homeless people in a tent a dog? They're, give, they're, they're collecting. They have puppies I see them with. They have pet food. Some of them are living in these tents with their children. Stop giving them any assistance. I'm not saying disrespect them because I'm an addict myself. But there's such a thing as it comes time to pull the Band-Aid off. Yeah, You've been yeah. down here for years. Our city looks like trash. We would like our streets back. Stop giving them any help. Pull the plug. Shut it down. Make it illegal to give these people assistance. I guarantee they'd have to find somewhere else to go. Maybe if you stop giving them all these access to supplies, some of them might be able to get sober for one or two days and have that come to God moment where they realize, wow, I don't want to live like this anymore. The longer you can continue to contribute to their insanity, the less of a chance they will have to get sober. And I hate to say this too, but I'm a firm believer in start arresting people again. They stopped arresting people in record numbers. Start arresting them. That couple weeks they would spend in the county jail gives you two weeks sober, gives you two weeks of rest, gives you two weeks of regular meals. Your, your head comes back. Your sanity comes back. You yeah. might want to stop using drugs. But the longer you continue to show up and give them needles and give them, they're now they're handing out test kits so they can test their drugs, make sure it's safe. Brother, there is no safe drugs anymore. No drugs are safe. Stop enabling them and it might change. But again, the, the politicians don't want to hear that because now all their nonprofits are not going to get money right. and all these companies are going to be upset. But what is it about really? Is it about what's right and wrong or is it about people making money? What about all the taxpayers? What about all these businesses that are, these people are living in front of businesses, taking over people that actually go to work every day and punch a clock and pay taxes. Half of them are complaining. They can't get the homeless people off the front of their businesses. People's homes are being, homeless people are living on people's porches. And when the cops come, they arrest the people for bothering the homeless people. Like in Oregon, Oregon passed a law where if a homeless person, you can't stop them from stealing. If a store owner stops you from stealing, you'll be arrested. The homeless person is allowed to steal. It's insane. So the people that are working and contributing to society have no rights. But the person who's taking from society, living in a tent and collecting government money, they get all the protection. We're, we're ass backwards right now. We're completely ass backwards. And this is not what I enlisted in the U.S. Navy and served my country for. This is It's sad. Mm. It's sad, bro. I enlisted at a time when there was no war just because I felt like my dad it's not my fault, and I get a lot of flack because I didn't serve in wartime, but it doesn't matter. I knew that it was my duty to fucking sign up, and I went. Yeah. And I, I did it. I'm sorry there was no war to fight when I enlisted, but I did my part, and I, and I did it because I believe this country's great. And, and I don't believe in what they're doing right now. And the fact that our cops don't do anything, the government doesn't give a shit, it makes me angry. Yeah. Now, now firstly... For anybody who has anything to say about, oh, you didn't go to war, like, motherfucker, be grateful that there's no war to fight. First of all, that's that's the number one. Like, you know, to, funny, to like, even it, say it, that yeah. is insane. Yeah, I get it a lot, though. I get it a lot. Oh, you didn't you 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 didn't fight in war. My bad. I'm sorry there wasn't a war, when I, but I enlisted out of my own heart. Yeah, that's so fucking crazy. man. This is where we are as a society, though. 
Th- this is the average, the the hive mind of the the the, the slaves that call themselves humans that just yeah. you know believe that the government has your best interest at heart. It's like, dude, I can give you thousands of examples as to why that's not true. That nobody's coming to save you, and the only people that care about you are you and those around you that are rock yep. fucking solid. That's it. Because yep. at the end of the day, yep. you know, you could have had nobody else, but I've been listening to a lot of your other shit, and it sounds to me like mom was the one the ride or die that you could rely on above all else. Right. So it wasn't the government. It wasn't the, the correctional facilities. It was mom dude. mom showed up. And apparently you, like you said, I I heard you say yourself, like you and her are best friends, you know, and that's, that that's incredible that somebody could, you know, actually say that uh, of everybody else, my mom came through. So it's like, look, man, of all you've been through all the trials and tribulations, the bullshit, the, the addiction, the, the jail time and, Every everything that's happened, right? Like the government never came through and said, Hey man, and, and especially you who's been in the military, it's like, where was the respect for those who served? I mean, on TV, it's like, oh, you know, thank you to those who serve. And it's like, but all we're seeing is veterans get fucked over left, right, and center. They're not getting any attention. Bro, we're not housing them, we're not handling their addictions, we're not dealing with PTSD. And then when we do try to with any of these programs, they just shut the programs down as soon as they start working because it's no longer a lifelong big pharma customer, right? You're we need right. to stop looking at this as customers. We need to start remembering this, man. We need to stop putting profits over people. I'm so fucking sick and tired of my money coming before people money can't love you back it comes it goes bro we need to start taking care of our society because look what's happened because of this look at these kids now like you're saying dresses and dressing as cats and now people are too afraid to offend somebody so they give them a fucking litter box like this is where we're at man and things need to stop but i want to touch on i want to kind of switch gears i want to so you've gone through all your shit you finally get out yeah and and well how how long ago did you get out 2013 okay perfect so you get out in 2013 what's the mindset what's the game plan uh i had ptsd at an outstanding rate it was astronomical i i uh i washed my boxers in the sink i wore my shower shoes in the shower i was i was i had shell shock coming home from prison i turned a room at my mom's house into a jail cell um, I immediately got on drugs. I had drugs delivered. I found a couple girls. I'd rotate in and out of the place when I needed the company of a woman, you know what I mean? So to speak, but I liked being by myself. Uh, I was doing drugs a lot. My drug, my addiction steamrolled out of control. I tried to get sober a couple times after that. I violated parole a couple times, went back to County jail for a few months at a time. I went to rehab once it didn't work. Um, and that went on for a few years till about 2017 or ish somewhere right there. Um, and in 2018 is when, uh, when I finally got clean. So it took me a how, while. Did, how did that happen though? I mean, you, you come out, you've gone through all this, you've gone through PTSD. What um, made you want to get clean? Well, again, it was that feeling, that feeling came back again. Like this is just, I wasn't happy. I've been doing drugs and meth. Meth has changed over the years so many times with different forms of methamphetamine. And I'm, I'm mixing methamphetamine and heroin back and forth. And, um, I just wasn't happy. I was miserable. I was exhausted. I wasn't enjoying, you know, for a while when you're doing drugs, when I switched from crack to, to methamphetamine, I had a good time for a couple of years and then mm. it started to go downhill. And then, you know, you do, I, I mixed it with heroin every now and then that was fun for some, for a little bit of time, but eventually the drug addiction is so bad that I'm just getting, I'm just getting high and slamming drugs to, to feel okay. Yeah. So 
I was just miserable. And I remember for a couple weeks towards towards about May in 2018, I was praying. I was praying, uh, excuse me. I was praying to God and Odin. I believe in both. Uh, sure. uh, so I was uh, I was praying back and forth. You know, I, I, it's weird because people get offended with that too. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I'm not really that Christian or religious, but I do sure. believe in Jesus. Yeah. But I'm, I got Viking in my history. So I got my culture. It matters to me as well. Sure. And um, I was so I'm praying to both these people. I'm like, man, make this stop, please. I'm not strong enough to do it on my own. And I'm saying this prayer sometimes every hour. Please, I don't know how to make this stop. I'm not enjoying myself. I'm in a room at my mom's house. I have now turned a million-dollar home in the city of Santa Clarita by Magic Mountain into a trap house. My parents won't even go upstairs. I've remodeled the the from the staircase to the second floor. I've done so many stupid tweaker remodels that it looks like it looks like a trap house. It's I've ruined my mother's home. I've broken it down to floorboards graffiti on the walls i swung from the chandelier the house looks like something disgusting from the second floor up and i'm living i'm in this room i'm just my mom won't enable me i get no access to food she can't kick me out because i'm too violent so she leaves me alone up in this room um i'm in a room that's black there's no electricity i have a battery powered tv a dvd player where i'm watching porn uh i'm on a mattress that's sweaty and filthy there's a pile of laundry i've broken the mirrors there's the walls are graffitied and I'm praying. Like I said, I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying, please take, I don't want to do this at this point. I'm just doing it because it's like, it's habit. It's routine. I'm getting high. But on this last day, I'll never forget. I did 17 shots, injections of crystal meth and heroin back and forth. And I, I probably did it about as much as Kurt Cobain did on that last day when he, when he overdosed and died, when they say allegedly he committed suicide, I had enough heroin and meth in me to probably kill a horse. And it wasn't working every time I did this shot. And now, mind you, if you know intravenous drug use, you know that you're not, you know that you're, you're hitting because the, the you're in the vein, the blood hits the rig and you push. I'm not missing. I did a shot on the vein, on the, on the, on the vein of my penis. That's how fucked up I was. Sure. 17 shots, nothing worked. I'm not high. I'm not crazy. I'm not horny. I'm not upset. None of the emotions you go through doing drugs were hitting me wow. and I'm exhausted. And, and I, I set this needle down and I'm like, I was too stupid to realize my fucking prayers had been answered. God was telling me, you're not getting high anymore, bro. You've asked me long enough. You spent two weeks in a filthy room covered in sweat and piss and diarrhea. And, and, and you're just, I've been begging for, for them to lift this from me. And when I realized it, I'm like, I sat there like, are you, fuck it's, it. It's happening. I can't get high anymore. 17 shots of heroin and meth would put down a horse. Yeah. And it didn't do shit to me. And when I finally realized that, like you said, my best friend, my mom, I banged on that door and opened that door. I came to the top of the stairs and she comes, it's almost like she knew that little old lady comes running up those stairs and she goes, are you ready? And I'm like, yeah. And I start to cry. And I'm like, yeah, I'm ready, mom. I can't do this. And it makes me cry thinking about it, but I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I don't know what I've been doing. I don't know where, what I'm supposed to do, but I just know that I don't want to go back into that fucking room anymore. That room was hell. And it had every symptom and sign of being in hell. And my mom let me come down into the, you know, you know, those old houses where you have the family room and you got the living room, you got the living room that nobody sits in. Nobody's allowed to sit in with the nice couches, no TV. It's where you put the Christmas tree every year. Yep. Well, my mom bought, bought me a little TV and a DVD player, bought me a stack of DVDs from Walmart and let me stay on the couch. And she said, you stay right here. And 
I had to get myself into treatment. We called rehab after rehab to get on a waiting list because getting into rehab isn't as easy as you thought. I had to get in a waiting list. So she would bring me a bottle of alcohol. I drank myself. Now, mind you, I'm not really an alcoholic, but I started drinking just to keep my nerves down, just to keep me on that couch. My mom would buy me a bottle of Jack Daniels or Maker's Mark every other day just to keep me on that couch watching DVDs while I was waiting for my entrance to rehab. I had about a two-week waiting waiting period till they had a bed open for me. And I drank every day. I ate. I slept. I ate. I slept. I watched movies. And after two weeks, I got into rehab. And uh, I got clean. And I, it started right there. I did. I was at a place where I don't give a fuck what you told me to do. If you told me to scrub your fucking toilet with my hand bare, I would do it. I didn't give a fuck at that point. If you told me this would keep me off drugs and not in that goddamn room, I was willing to do it. I got a sponsor. I did the steps. I did the steps. I'm on my third time doing them right now. I did everything they said. I went from detox to rehab to sober living to to fucking, I went to NAAA meetings for three and a half solid years before I finally slowed down. I took commitments. I sponsor, to this day, I still, I sponsor guys. I use social media to talk to guys and women around the world who need help with recovery. And uh, ever since May 18th, 2018, I've been sober. Five years just passed. Oh, good for you, man. Holy shit. What a, what a wild ride. Now, have you ever, uh, like since then, have you ever been back up into that room? Yeah, it's completely remodeled. It's I for a while I couldn't even go near it because it had such it had right. that evil energy. Energy, yep. Energy, evil. Just my mom painted it. They remodeled it. Their house is back to normal finally, and it's uh, I can finally go there now, and it's okay. Wow, excellent, man. No, that that's great. And uh, dude, I'm a, a huge believer in in you know energy and life force and all that and karmic yeah. law. And I feel like yeah. karmic law is one of those things that people grossly, grossly you know misunderstand. They say people seem to think that they can constantly do things that, you know, uh, go against the the universal laws and and just walk away scot-free. It's like, man, yeah. whether whatever you believe, Odin, God, universe, Allah, whatever it is, yeah. it's keeping tabs. It is it's going to remember all that you've done. And that's why, man, yeah. I, I kind of want to ask you this next question. And that's. When you say like, you know, that room held a certain energy and obviously something completely miraculous happened, like, right, you you couldn't get high, which is that doesn't just fucking happen. Right. Oh, so it, it's, it's one of these things like. What do you now that you've had years to kind of sit back and talk about that a whole lot and reflect on it? What do you chalk that up to that that experience like you 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 kind of asked for something and you received, even yeah. after, you know, doing so much wrong, what, 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 what do you chalk that up to? I mean, it's, it's spiritual. I, I, I don't, I still don't know. I just know that I was asking some, I was asking something that's greater than me for some help. And one of those beings reached down and gave me the help that I needed. They made it apparent that I was not going to get high and they saved my life. And, um, it blows my mind. I get the willies when I think about it. You know what I mean? It's yeah. weird. Yeah, man. It's weird because to, to, to continue to inject those drugs and have nothing happen until I finally was smart enough to realize the heroin alone should have killed me. Yeah. And um, I just, it has to, I, that's why it has to be God. I don't, I don't really care what your God is, what your spiritual power is. Sure. I don't care if you put all your energy into a rock, if that's what helps you. And that's what yeah. we tell people in the program. I don't care what you need to believe in, believe in the fucking couch. If that's what gets you to tomorrow sure. without drugs, do it. 
do it. Um, but I always had a basis in religion. So for me, it was kind of, it was easy, you know? Yeah, man. Yeah. And, and that dude, I, I say this <laughs> years and years, man, my, my entire audience can tell you this exact quote. And that's that I say the most effective treatment is, is not what you think it is. It's whatever you believe in. You yeah. could, you could think that like, oh, well, you know, uh, holistic medicine is better than you know the allopathic medicine and and it's like dude you could be drinking coca-cola if you truly believe in your mind that that coca-cola is healing you then every time you drink that even though it's bad for you guess what's happening you believe it so it's fucking happening right so the power of our mind is amazing oh it is and it's almost like when we ask for these things and i'm also a somebody who really studied the uh you know religious origins and and kind of like the messaging behind all of these religions and all of them come back to you know that's why i called it the seven show because we have seven chakras right the the number seven is mentioned in every single religious text worldwide since the beginning of time the number seven right that tells me that that's it's telling you to be whole with the self so it's almost like you finally just said to yourself, like, that's it, man. Like, I'm I'm fucking done. And finally, you aligned that one moment that yeah. you, everything aligned. And finally, Matt just said, you know what? I'm fucking done. And then you had that. Luckily, you had that support yeah. system directly after leaving that room that yeah. was like, no, you know what? I'm going to help you through this, regardless of kind of what we've been through in the past. So, So you go through all that. You get clean. What is it that, how, how exactly did you get into, I believe it's Sullen? Yeah. How did you get into this and, and switch directions there? Well, it's funny because by proxy, Sullen also helped me get sober. No I, shit. Uh, yeah, I've always been a fan of tattoos and like clothing. It was always my life. Even when I'm t- strung out on drugs, I was always buying their clothing. And my mom knew how much I liked it. And they were sold on the prison catalogs too when I was in prison. They have basic fl- plain gear they sell in prison. And my mom, when I got into rehab, she did this thing where every week she'd give me a bag of sullen clothing. She'd buy it, t-shirts, hats, socks. And every week she'd tell me, get get to next Friday. Now, I don't recommend you you try to uh, dangle. I mean, dangling a carrot in front of someone does work because it gives you something to go to. But sure. it doesn't always work. But for me, for some reason, every Friday, mom would show up with a new bag and I was able to make it to the next Friday. She did it for nine months. At nine months, she told me, Go get a year and bring me something. Mm. So I started taking these selfies, you know, horrible, horrible selfies of myself <laughs> in the clothing, thinking I'm modeling. And eventually I bumped into the owner, Uncle Jeremy, at the Muse Inc., where I saw a Limp Biscuit about four, maybe four and a half years ago. And we, I had the Sullen logo tattooed, I think, on my face right here. And I walked up to him, introduced myself and showed it to him. And I told him that. And he goes, wow, you... Like, we got you sober. I'm like, you were part of the reason I got sober. It helped me stay sober. We became friends. My other friend was working with the company. He put me on as a model. I started doing the videos with them. Eventually, it led to me being really good friends with the owner, Uncle Jeremy. I then became, uh, I do the social media on the main page, on the story every night. I recruit models. I help recruit tattoo artists. I help people submit artwork. I run the Sullen family page full-time. I'm still a full-time model. I do some of the videos. I do the conventions, I network and recruit and like networking and, and I guess marketing. And I now just started doing sales for them. So I have like an umbrella of tasks that I do for this company and it just worked out well. And uncle Jeremy gave me a shot too. He gave me a shot and I've never let him down and I won't let him down. Man, dude, yeah. it's, 
after your whole story and and listening to kind of everything you've overcome and dude we've only just just touched the tip of the iceberg in in the hour and a half that we've been speaking but man for anybody to say anything less than they're proud of you is would be insane like the shit that you've done man yeah look i've seen people go through a lot and and i've seen a lot of quitters i've seen a lot of people give up you know and and i've seen what the human mind is capable of and i've also seen how fragile it can be and and to see somebody who literally went to the fucking you 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 literally went to hell and then took the elevator to the bottom below it (laughs) right and and you just right and then you just out of fucking nowhere just decided to change your life and then I'm, I'm i'm watching you now and kind of following along with what you're doing and dude it's like this complete complete 180 and and the the thing that really attracted me to it all is like okay people are are you know they're, they're capable of these great feats and doing whatever i understand how strong the human mind is but it's the people who get to where they wanted to go they continually move forward but they still give back yeah that's a hard task to achieve, man. You have absolutely no fucking reason to continually want to help people. Dude, you, you got your shit together. That's it. Yeah. That should be enough. But to see that you genuinely go out of your way to make a difference in the world. You're you're literally the epitome of, of people that I like to have on my podcast. People that truly strive for change people that can really fucking impact people i want people to listen to these these episodes and i want you to fucking laugh i want you to cry i want you to feel i want you to get angry i want you to be i want you to experience all of that but you do that by finding people of value and i can honestly say man you've uh it's rare that people inspire me do but as a person building a brand myself and 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 you know just uh, going through all the things that I've been through and, and watching somebody who, uh, you know, has gone through their own shit and still strives to give back, man. I, uh, dude, I appreciate you. I'm proud of you. And, and in closing this thing, man, I, uh, I want you to tell everybody where to find you and, um, you know, how well, we can follow you along your journey. I, I want to say thank you too, because, uh, you know, I, I watched your episodes. I was blown away. It's, it's a, it's a very, it's a pleasure for me and an honor for me to be talking with you. And I look at like what you said as, it's my job. If I, if I don't, if I can't reach back for people that need help, my sponsor taught me that it's part of what we do in the program. Now, mind you, for me, not everything in the program works, but I know that if I don't reach back and if I don't answer all these messages, if I don't talk to people that need help, then what the fuck did I do all this for? Mm. You know, I can't forget where I was. I can't forget how it was. I, I I'm a different guy today and I do the best I can to help. And I do spend a lot of time doing it, but I have to, I, I literally feel like I have to, if I don't give back, then I might lose what I got. And I'm never that perfect where I might not end up in that goddamn room, my mom's house again. And so in order for me to stay out of that damn room, I have to help people. That's, that's the message that was put in my head. That's what God, Odin, whoever answered that day told me was, okay, this is the price for what we're going to do. We're going to give you something that's amazing, but I need you to always be available to help. You know what I mean? And and I do my best with it, even though it's exhausting and I'm tired. I do my best, and I will always do it. Yeah. Okay, man, absolutely. Where can everybody find you? Uh, my Facebook is Matt Camerano. My uh, my Instagram is uh, Mohawk Matt underscore SFV. Sullen Clothing, Sullen Family. I do all the tattoo conventions for the most part in regards to Sullen Clothing. I'll be at every show. Yep. Fuck yeah, man! Excellent. Well, anytime you want back on, man, you're you're fully welcome onto this podcast. Literally, whenever Thank you want. You, 
I appreciate you, brother, and uh, I'll support you along your journey through every fucking step of the way, man. Thank you, brother. I'm, I'm very grateful for you. Thank you so much. Absolutely, man.